Well, uh, this spring, our family, on this day the third lockdown began, began a kitchen renovation as well. So we just thought, let's all be at home together when there is no kitchen. And so that went on about eight weeks. And uh, part of what you do when you do a kitchen renovation is you get new appliances. We had a fridge that uh, we had bought used on Kijiji eight years previous. When we bought it, it was in the people's garage. It was their second fridge. They said there's little small dents in the fridge. That's where our kids had hit, hit it with the hockey puck when they were playing hockey in the garage. We said, fine, it's a good deal. We took the fridge, put it in. It was great. All went along just quite well. But again, you get a new, new kitchen. You need to have a nicer looking fridge. And so we got a new fridge, new dishwasher. And then about seven weeks ago, and, and they were great. We plugged them in and they did what they were supposed to do. And then about seven weeks ago, someone was over at our house, and they had done a kitchen renovation and had exactly the same fridge and dishwasher that we had. And they said, oh, did you know that your fridge can connect to the internet? And we were like, no, because our old fridge, just you plugged it in and it cooled things. They're like, no, no, it connects to the internet. And then, they, then he said, I think your dishwasher connects to the internet too. And we we're like, we don't think the dishwasher connects. So sure enough, then we have these house guests over. We're opening up our dishwasher. Oh yeah, it does connect to the internet. And so suddenly, after we've had these fridges for two months, we're learning all of these new features. And so here, you're learning something about our family. So then, that was seven weeks ago. So this weekend, in preparation for today's message, I went and downloaded the little app and connected these two appliances to the internet. And now I get a little notification on my phone when the dishwasher cycle is over. I have no idea why that would be useful. But yet I have all of these features on my phone now, and I still need to figure out how they work. Now, I say all that. This does relate somewhat to Vision Sunday. It's not just a personal update. Uh, my name's Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. Uh, welcome to you this morning, each one of you. If I don't get to shake your hand at the door, just a great personal welcome for me. And to our Harbor Online community, welcome to you this morning. So glad you are a part of our service this morning, whether now live or at a later date. Uh, here's what my dishwasher and fridge have to do with Vision Sunday. If you were to come to me and say, Jeff, what is your vision for the dishwasher for this year? I would say it's to wash dishes. That's the vision, right? And what's the vision for the fridge? It is to keep things cool. If you came to me and said, oh, you have a great vision for your dishwasher, I wouldn't say, oh yes, I'd like it to bake cookies or I'd like my fridge to learn how to make a casserole. They just don't do those things. Right? The vision is sort of what they were designed to do. And in the same way, when we come to Vision Sunday, we are a church. We are a church. And so God has defined what church is for us. We don't get to make up a vision in this sense. God has already told us what and who we are supposed to be. I have a friend from another country. He had texted me this week, and God has just done a wonderful work in his life, changing him. He's trying to find a church, and he texted me a good question. He said, what, what is a good church? And he was honestly looking for that answer and some sort of guidance. And I just didn't say, well, whatever you like, just go out and find, you know. No, I was able to give him some very specific things. This is what a good church is. And so in the same way, this morning, we come. We're the church of God. God has defined that for us, and so much of our task on Vision Sunday or any part of the year is just simply to live who God designed us to be. But in some ways, like my dishwasher and like my fridge, sometimes we don't live out who we are to the fullest capacity. 
We, we don't live it all the way out. In fact, we don't understand all that we are. And so part of a vision Sunday is understanding who God has wired us to be as individuals and as a church, and then saying, let us be those people. Let us be those people individually and collectively together. Let us be who God has wired us to be to a greater and greater capacity, to a fuller capacity. And so that's where we come this morning. Just answering the question, who are we? What is our identity? Who has God designed us to be as his people and as his church? And we're going to see this get answered in one verse in the Bible. It's the first book in a verse. It's the first verse in a book of the Bible. And here's what it is. It's like an email line. You know, on email it says to, and then it's, or it's got from, and then it's got your name, and then it's got to, and then it's got the person's name you're going to. That's all we're doing today. One verse, first verse in a Bible. It's much like that, but the author says, here's who I am. And then he says, here's who you are. And so today, I just want to look at that. Who did the author understand himself to be? And then who did he say the people he was writing to are? And we're just going to simply look at that and say, okay, let's take these two things away and say, let us this year as the people of God try to be exactly who we are. So the book is 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's all the way at the end of your Bibles. So if you get to Revelation, you can come back a little bit. If you're doing it digitally, it's 1PE or 1PET. This is a book written by one of the disciples of Jesus. Probably the most well-known disciple. John would probably run a close second in that regard. You remember Peter, he walks on water. Uh, he denies Christ. He's restored by the Sea of Galilee. He preaches a great sermon in Acts 2. We love Peter. We love Peter because we so identify with him, right? He, he's, usually, uh, he's usually not thinking first, but he's speaking first, or he's usually acting first and not thinking, and we just so identify with him. But now he comes and he writes this letter. He actually writes two to the same degree of churches, and we're, we're going to start today going through the first chapter of this book, but today, just in verse 1, to see who Peter says, here's who I am, and here's who you are, and that's important for us here on Vision Sunday. So if you've got it in your Bibles, I sure hope you do. There's two words I want especially you to circle in a moment, but here's how Peter starts. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You think of all the things Peter could have said about himself, right? All of his successes, or he could have highlighted some of his failures. He could have highlighted his relationship with Jesus. He could have said, I'm the one who started these churches that I am writing to. But yet he sees his identity here in relation to someone else. See what he says there? Peter, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so right away, here's what I'm noting. Peter is seeing himself and who he is in relation to who Jesus is. And just for a moment, think about the first century. We, this is probably not that big of a deal for us because we're so acclimatized to Jesus and usually hold him in high regard. But think of in first century, right? If you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and someone would ask you, well, who is Jesus? Here's what you're going to say. Oh, he was crucified as a common criminal by the Romans, and people are going to say, oh, that's your leader? Yes, yes, that's my leader. But then you're going to say, oh, but he was innocent and he rose from the dead. But what most people in first century would have heard is that Jesus was a common criminal who was arrested and was tried and convicted and killed by the Romans. 
And most people would have thought this is an unusual man to be following. This is why the gospel authors spend so much time trying to prove Jesus' innocence and trying to prove his resurrection to their readers because they knew it was an incredible hurdle for people to get over to believe in this Jesus who was crucified by the Romans. So Paul or Peter sees his identity as based on who Jesus is, but then he says this other word. Do you see it there? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter's not marking what he has done, but he's marking what has been done to him. Peter's saying, I've been called. I've been set apart. In many ways, as Peter says who he is, he's saying someone else is the primary actor and I am just responding to them. Peter's saying, I'm an apostle, which means I'm a called, set apart, or I am a sent one. Peter's saying, I've been commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the glorious message of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. Who I am is someone that is to herald the good news. You remember how this all started with Peter, right? Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. It wouldn't have been the first time he met Jesus, but he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and, there, and Peter's there with his brother Andrew. They're working on their nets after a long day of fishing, and Jesus comes along and says to Peter, Peter, come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And the Bible records that Peter immediately left everything and followed Jesus. There's three different parts there, right? Come, follow me, and then what did you say? I will make you a fisher of men. Here's what Peter is saying. I am still living out that identity. I'm an apostle. I am a sent one. Now, here's the application for us. Again, we know that Peter is in a unique category. He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. This is, even though it doesn't probably say it in your Bible, this is an apostle with a capital A, a unique category. We're not adding to that category. But apostle with a small a, small a, as a sent one. We are all called to represent Christ's interest here on earth. The central purpose of your life as a follower of Jesus is to represent Jesus Christ. You are a sent one. All else is subordinate to that. In fact, we end each service here at Harbor, and we'll say it today. Harbor, we are sent. That's not only our mission, but what Peter is saying, it's also our identity. We are sent ones. And we head out into various and so, so many different places, but we all head out during the week as those who are sent. So as you think about how Peter sees himself as a sent one of Jesus Christ, here's my first question. How can we live more this year as a church and as individuals as sent ones? That's who you are. That's who God has made you to be. 2 Corinthians uh, 5 says you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So the question is, this is who we are. How might you live more this year out that identity? That's the central purpose of your life as a Christian. A sent one. How will you live that out more? How will we live that out more? That's the first thing that Peter says. That's who he is. But look down to the second half of verse 1. This is the two line in the email, and I'll read the whole verse. You'll see it on the side screens. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So here, Peter, he uses two words 
to describe who the people he is writing to. He gives their geographical area. This is probably northwestern Turkey, if you sort of want a modern-day place of where he's talking about. If you're thinking of a map, you know, it's actually where the refugees now, if you see refugees coming across the boats to Greece and the islands there, this is actually that area there. But Peter now is going to say, give them two identity pieces. Who are the people he's writing to? Look at the two words he uses, elect and exiles. He's saying, this is who you are. And so in your Bibles, if you want to sort of note, this is really important. You should circle that, underline that, highlight that, because Peter takes these two phrases, and now in the whole rest of the book, almost every paragraph, he's playing off this identity. He's saying either you're elect or you're exiles, and here are the implications of that. So with the word elect, in the, if you go down to verse 2, that identity, Peter explains what that means. So I'm not avoiding it. I'm just going to leave it for next week so I can do verse 2, explain what that word elect means. Let me talk about this word exiles today. We are sent ones, but we are also exiles. It's a hard word to understand. Here's the best translation. Those who reside as aliens... Those who have a temporary residence away from one's homeland, we might call them resident aliens. I think in the United States, if you have a green card, it's called your resident alien card. In Canada, we call it a little bit different. We call it a permanent resident card. Some of you here this morning, this is how you are in Canada. You have a permanent resident card. We might not even know it, but that's how you're in the country. Or some of you are here this morning saying, I'd like a permanent resident card. I'd like to move towards that. What does it mean? What does when, Paul, when Peter says exiles, or we think of resident aliens, what is he communicating here? Well, we know when you have a permanent resident card, it means you're a part of our culture, part of our society. You have a job here, you know the language, you have friends, you have neighbors, you're engaged. You have most of the rights and privileges of a citizen, except you can't vote. So there is a place where you are a resident, and Peter is certainly communicating that. You're, you're residing there, but then here's the other thing we know, and any of you that grew up in a foreign country or in a different culture, you know generally you've come here, you fit in well most of the time, but yet there are moments where you have some sort of habit or custom or where, where you, the way you operate that just feels different. In fact, because I've spent time in other countries and some of you I think would have these stories as well, you're in a moment where you're acting perfectly normal in fact, if you were in your homeland, what you would be doing would be totally normal. But now you do it in Canada, and everyone looks in on you like you are an alien. Like you're just so strange and so different. And you're looking around, reading everyone's faces, right? And you're like, okay, I know I've done something weird, and I know you all think I'm weird. But here's what you're thinking. If you came to my country, you would be the weird ones. I'm actually the normal one in this moment here. But you can't explain that. You can't say that. You just know that you're not quite at home. You have some customs, some habits. You, you just do things differently. Anyone that has lived in another culture sort of knows and has these funny moments. So here's what Peter's saying. You're exiles. You're not tourists. You're engaged. You're residents. But you're not citizens. You're not home either. You're exiles. And this would have been so important for his readers in the day. Think again new Christians. Christianity is just beginning to spread. And at first, Christianity was covered by the Jewish synagogue. 
you know, had, had, had legal protection there. But as Christianity grew, then people, they were known then as Christians from the household of Christ, and they were pushed out of the synagogues. And when they get pushed out of the synagogues, then they lost legal protection and they became the target of Roman persecution. And you can see why they were persecuted, these early Christians. Here's why. They refused to believe in all the gods of the culture. Think of all the gods of Roman and Greek culture and Christianity refused to believe in any and worship them. And then secondly, what we've already talked about, they had a Jesus, a leader who did not triumph and establish his kingdom at the end of his life, but instead was crucified, died and buried, and they said resurrected and ascended. But it just didn't make sense to people. And then even more than that, they said this Jesus is the only way you can have salvation. They had this exclusive message of salvation. There's no other way to God. And then on top of that, these Christians had odd customs. They said they were adopted into the family of God and they were brothers and sisters. And that led to all sorts of charges against them. They had an ordinance where they ate a little bit of bread and took some juice or some wine. And they said that was the body and blood of Christ. And they were accused of being cannibals. And then in the midst of 1 Peter, what Peter says is the whole culture was engaged in reckless and wild living. And then these Christians are living so differently. They've got a totally different moral standard. And so for all of these reasons, the world looks in on these first century Christians that Peter is writing to, and the world is saying, they're strange, you're weird, you're different. You know, and they looked at them and they ridiculed them. They made fun of them because they stood out. They were just different. They were strange for what they believed and how they lived. And that's what Peter is saying here. That they're being ridiculed. They're being maligned. They're being mocked. And he's trying to say to them, as we see as the suffering unfolds in the letter, he's trying to say, but you're exiles. This is not your home. And boy, what Peter is teaching the believers there in the first century, isn't it just as relevant for us today? Peter would say to that group of Christians and every other group of Christians that would follow, who are you? You are an exile. You will be misunderstood, maligned, ridiculed, hated. You'll just be different and weird. You will stand out for the very same reasons that they did in their day. So part of the identity crisis is that we face as we learn where exiles is not to compromise, not to just assimilate. It's so easy to say, let me just, I feel like an exile, so let me just fit in so I avoid the suffering. Or the other extreme could be to withdraw, to say, let me just separate myself and unengage and hide. But what Peter is saying, no, your residents engage and let me give you a new way of living in the midst of this reckless and wild culture you're in. Here's the implication of this. We're exiles. We're sent ones, but we are also exiles. You are pilgrims. You're not home. If you're a Christian, you have not yet arrived. Now, let me qualify it. If you're a Christian, have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, then in that moment, he's forgiven all of your sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. You've, you, it's, the work is done because of what Christ did on the cross for you. He adopts you into his family. He gives you power to live. He secures your eternity. So in that sense, everything Christ has done for you, it is done, it is complete. You have arrived into the family of God in relationship with him. But yet in our journey, we're still not home. 
And here's what that means. In this earth, we will never be completely satisfied. You will struggle. It just won't always seem right. At times, it will feel empty. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you're just not home yet. So in those moments when life doesn't fit, in some moments is greater than others, where there's some unhappiness, we remember that we are exiles. We are just not home. In fact, we never really understand our lives on this earth until we understand that we are exiles. So we're sent ones. We are sent on a mission to live for purpose for Christ, but then we're also exiles. This is not our home. And so my second question would be, how this year could we just live more like this is not our home? How do we live more like this is not our home? If we believed we were exiles, how would it affect how we use our time, how we use our treasure? You know, Jesus said, don't invest it here. Send it on ahead. You know, how do we invest in relationships? In fact, this is really, I think, all I could stop right now for Vision Sunday and say, here's our entire vision for the year. Let's just live as sent ones and let's live as exiles. And if we did, you see over there on the side screen, our vision has been that God would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. If we just all did that, the result would be God being immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That's our heart. Let's live as sent ones. Let's live as exiles and remember that's who we are and how we relate to the world. But let me also just take a moment and add some specifics to this of how this gets played out here at Harbor. Uh, you see on this wall here, you see our mission statement, walking with people from disenchantment to discipleship. That statement has guided us for almost our entire history. It comes right from the Bible, from Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We just have simply reworded the idea, walk with people from disenchantment to discipleship. And isn't that word disenchantment as relevant now as it has ever been? Isn't there a growing disenchantment with our world? And don't we have a wonderful opportunity to offer an alternative? And then how does that vision get played out? Well, it gets played out on this wall look up, live deep, and lead out. Really, three purposes of the church. Why does the church exist? To do these three things. If we do these three things, then the mission is accomplished. The first is look up, worship God. We as a church, our purpose is, just like a dishwasher's purpose is to wash dishes, our purpose as a church is to gather and worship the living God. Now, on your uh, seats when you came in, you see this entire vision laid out that we declared about three and a half years ago. Lots of different points there. What we have done in recent years is just said, let's have a point of emphasis in each vision area. So I don't want to diminish all that it says there for look up. We are doing all five of those things, but I just want to highlight one thing of how could we, how could we improve our worship? How could we look up in awe more? Here's what we are asking today, or here's our goal for this year. Greater participation in singing. We simply shortened it to be more singing. Doesn't mean more in breadth, but more in depth. That we would fill this space with our voices. I don't know if some of you have ever been to a conference with thousands of people. Uh, some of you know the Promise Keepers movement happened 
many years ago, but probably about well, quite a while ago when we lived in Chicago, uh, they had this Promise Keepers men's event in Soldier Field, and that was before the renovations, and Soldier Field was more of a bowl, and you could get a lot of people in there. So they had this men's conference that filled Soldier Field on a Saturday. And any of you that were at that event or any other of these Promise Keepers stadium events, here's what everyone always said and always remembers was the singing. When we sang and lifted our voices, 50, 60,000 men singing praises to God and how encouraging that was to us and to each other and how that spurred us on in our faith. What's our hope for Look Up this year? Of the many things we're working on, one is that we would just lift our voices, that we would sing together. When people would enter the door for the first time, they think, wow, these people are exiles. They're aliens. We've never heard this kind of singing before. But it would be a testimony to them of our, of our love for our Lord, and it would be an encouragement to each other. It's great to have Josh here today, still on paternity leave, but volunteering as our worship leader. Josh, I know you've talked to some of the worship team about this. It means we need to experiment with our song choices, with our atmosphere, all sorts of different things. But that's our heart for Look Up, that we would just sing more, participate more. Then as we come to Live Deep, I'll put up this verse on the side screens. This is a verse that we talked about back when we did a series in the fall or in the spring. We talked about the different cities. And when Paul went to Thessalonica, he's only there a short time, but the gospel just rings out from Thessalonica. And we wonder why there's such a gospel spread, and it's large part found in this verse that so resonated in my heart. Here's what Paul said. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And here's what Paul marks. The gospel spread out from Thessalonica because they were willing to share our lives. And as we thought about all the things that happen in Live Deep, that we would be people of spiritual depth, the one sort of point of emphasis would be, let us share our lives with one another. Now, let me say this. After 17 months of COVID, this is not a strength for us at Harbor right? There's been many reasons for that, and we could do the analysis. What I'm just saying today is this is not a strength right now. Many things are happening that are good, but we just want to make this a strength here at Harbor. And what Peter goes on to say in the book of First Peter, he says, you're all exiles. You're exiles. So here's what he's saying. Create a little home. Create a community where you can love and you can remind each other and encourage each other that you're not home yet. So how might we share our lives with one another? Let me say this. If you've, been to Har if you've been to Harbor now more than three times, when you're here on Sunday morning, you are now charged as an unofficial member of the host team. More than the first three times are free. But the fourth time, please greet someone. Please reach out and shake a hand. Why is that? Because God is bringing new people into our church every week. Every week. And if you've been here more than three times, then please be involved in meeting someone here that is newer than you. The other thing Peter says is let's practice hospitality. Let's practice that. Let's increase our practice. And that's why we're having meals after the, both services today. That's why it's guess who's coming to dinner. And we hope today after the service, there's a sign-up tables out there. There's ways where you can be connected. There's dinner being served. There's games, all sorts of stuff happening. Please pray, please participate. Our heart is that we would get to know each other and share each other's lives. But it's not just our heart that these two things happen these next two weeks, and then we say, okay, we're done. What's the next goal? No, this would, be, this would become part of the culture this year at Harbor. Some of you 
are really wired towards hospitality. Some of you are really gifted in that, and we need your giftedness. We need your leadership, and may you step forward this year and lead us in sharing our lives and in hospitality. Part of also of this is, is groups. Mark's already mentioned that. Everyone we're hoping is in a group. We need each other. We are exiles, and we need to remind ourselves and encourage ourselves. So whether it's a D group, a smaller gathering to be discipled and learn some specific truths, or a community group where we study the Bible and share relationship, or whether it's an online group, all of you online, if you're part of the Harbor community, you need to be in a group as well. And we're praying that God would raise up more and more leaders who would lead in-person groups and lead online groups because we want everyone relationally connected. We'll talk more about this on Wednesday. We've also realized through COVID that more and more people carry burdens and pains and hurts through life. And we as a church can't meet every need, can't carry every burden, but we believe we can carry some. And we're hoping this year there will be greater emphasis on sharing our lives with one another and just helping people in specific areas of hurt and pain. And then lastly, preschool, harbor kids, harbor youth, they have had a really good year in the midst of COVID. We have just seen God's hand in it. The preschool launched this week, and we've seen God's hand in Harbor Kids and Harbor Youth throughout the year. And so let me just say a word of thanks for all of you that serve in those areas. It takes real vision and real faith to serve in those areas. Preschool, Harbor Kids, Harbor Youth. Here's why. Sometimes you get to see immediate fruit, and we rejoice in that. But often the faith and the vision of serving in those areas is believing that what you invest now pays dividends in the decades to come. And aren't many of you here with that same testimony? Many of you here would look back on your life and say, I'm so thankful for when I was a child or when I was a youth and the way people invested and taught in me. My life is much more richer and much better. And so thank you for those of you that serve in these areas for your vision and for your faith, knowing that nothing you do in the name of the Lord is ever in vain. So when it comes to look up, more singing. When it comes to live deep, sharing our lives. And then when it comes to lead out, we simply want to continue. What the verse says in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says we shared our lives, but it didn't stop there. We shared the gospel. We are sent ones. We are on a mission. Jesus has given us the great commission. We are to be sharing the gospel. And part of what we see happening in our culture and in our country is the gospel is just not being shared anymore. I believe that we would increasingly see a plentiful harvest if we as people would just share the gospel more. Three ways we're doing that at Harbor. One is through church starts. If you, when you read through the New Testament, what shows as a healthy church, what, what the Bible says is a healthy, mature church is not how big it is, but how much it multiplies, how it reproduces itself. What missions is, is sharing the gospel, making disciples, and starting new churches. And we don't, I don't say this enough at Round Harbor because we just sort of think it's normal for us, but here's, here's, if I can say this humbly, is God right now has enabled us as a church to have three church starts happening simultaneously. I do not know of another church in Canada at our size that God is working in in that way. And we say, praise God for that. And as I talk to our church starters, our pastors there, I often joke with them. I say, take a picture of this event because you'll want to show it at the 50th anniversary of the church. 
You know, they may have to wheel you in in a wheelchair or on a cane to get there, but you'll be able to tell the story of how these churches began. And that's part of the vision and the faith we have in church starting. That God is faithful to his church and the gates of hell do not prevail against it. He builds it. And so, praise God, we have three church starts. And if I could say a word, some of you could be a great blessing to those three church starts this year. Here's how you could be a blessing. For the next nine months, just attend every Sunday. We'd miss you here, but going to attend one of those three, and you see the three on the side screens, Crew 50 celebrating their fourth year, uh, meeting this morning in Stony Creek, Sevilla Chapel today, meeting here at 3.30, celebrating their second year in Pony Church and how God has worked over the last year and a bit. But you could have a tremendous ministry by just showing up each Sunday and serving, and then even more, using your gifts to serve and to love and invest in those churches. You could have a phenomenal ministry as we seek to God, as we seek for God to grow these church starts. Here's the second way we want to share the gospel and lead out, and Isaiah's already talked about it. It's through in the harvest ministry, where we go out and knock on doors or meet people in the community, walk up to them. In the last two years, here's the stats. We have engaged with 3,891 people. We've prayed for 1,623 of them, and we've shared the gospel with 1,132. That's the best count I have. And praise God for that. And if you would like to join us, come and be a silent observer. Come and see how people, how people are open to the gospel and how the good news really is good news in the disenchantment of our world. But why do we do In the Harvest? Well, you see on there, it says organized public evangelism. That's what In the Harvest is. But our heart within the harvest is that it will lead to organic personal evangelism. Yes, we want to be about going out and being organized and being public. But really, the root of it is at the rate we are going in sharing the gospel with people in our community. And if we engaged as much as if, if, if the stats were that as much as we engage in the harvest, we each engage the same during the week. That would be about 4,000 engagements a year. That's over 100 years before we engage with every single person in Niagara that's far from God. And so what we hope is that the organized public evangelism will lead to each of us sharing the gospel personally in our own relational world. In the Harvest just helps us learn the tools and learn the boldness to do this. It was about nine months ago. It was a Wednesday. We had been out in the Harvest. And again, some days you go out. This week I was out there, met somebody, and that evening God worked in just a specific way. Incredible story of God's work uh, you know, that, that quickly. Other times you go out and you don't see the immediate. You're just like, God, I just trusted you. I'm just being obedient. I'm sharing the gospel and you don't really see the immediate effect of that. And so one of these nights, don't, don't, one of these times, don't hold this against me, but we come back for a prayer meeting from 3.30 to 4. And I'd also been texting someone about selling a desk on Kijiji and he wanted to pick it up at four. So don't hold this against me, but I thought I'll leave the prayer meeting five minutes early because I really want to get this desk out of my garage and go home. And I hadn't really had a great time in the harvest. So I thought, well, they can carry and praise God. Other people had. So I slipped out five minutes early, went home to meet someone. It was Facebook Marketplace to sell this desk to him. And we sell quite a few things on Facebook Marketplace. And, you know, sometimes it's just very much a business transaction. But this person was so warm and friendly just so engaged. It was just such a wonderful conversation. And it just, you know, it, it just, it was very open and easy, mostly because he was just such a great guy. 
And so then at a little point, I slipped in. Oh, yeah, I just had to come from the church. And he was like, oh, the church, you know. And he, he picked up on that cue, and we got talking about spiritual things. And then in this moment, I realized this person is really open to hear the good news of Jesus. And in that moment, here's what I was so thankful for. I had just spent an hour in the harvest, you know, praying for people and sharing the gospel. And so I knew exactly what to do. I had a whole script memorized in my head. I knew exactly how to play it out. And even though it was now in my personal life, not in my public life, just had such a moment. And so I just said to him, oh, hey, can I just show you how God comes near? And so I shared the three circles with him. He was very receptive to that. And I said, oh, can I pray with you? And he was so delighted that we could pray. And so as I went to pray, then he, this is happening in our driveway in the cold. As I went to pray, he reached out and grabbed my hands. And so there we are in my driveway, holding hands. I'm praying for him. And then at this moment, my family comes home and they're like, dad, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, it was all really normal. If you had been here, if you had been here from the beginning, this was very normal. But I know at this moment, it really looks quite weird. But from there, this young man, some of you know who I'm talking about. He's been back to our house for dinner. He's been to church here. Some of you have met with him and we can continue to pray for God's work in his life. My learning is there is that we just have so many opportunities to share Jesus. There are people we are each encountering every day who are disenchanted with this life and this world and who have never heard the gospel before. So let us live as sent ones. Let's say, God, may you give me eyes to see the opportunities where I can share the gospel in God. May I live more as an exile, knowing I'm not at home, so not caring as much what people think about me. Well, those are our three visions, three points of emphasis, more singing, sharing our lives, sharing the gospel. Please come back on Wednesday. So much more to say about all three of those areas. Let me just say a quick prayer for us, and then I've got one last thing that I want to leave you with. God, God, thank you for your hand. And God, we're reminded today, Lord, that we are indeed sent by you and we are exiles. And God, our prayer is, God, may you just help us live that this year. Help us as a church and help us as individuals in your name, amen. One last thing, probably the most important thing I'll say. Jesus is the ultimate exile. He's the ultimate exile. Remember what Jesus said? He said, foxes have holes and birds have the air, uh, the birds of the air have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Think of Jesus, son of man, son of God, God in the flesh comes to the earth and he is homeless. He's an exile on this earth. And then he ends his life on the cross by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ultimate separation, the ultimate exile from God. So here's what we would say. Jesus was at home in heaven and became an exile on earth. He took our exile. It should have been us that were exiles, but Jesus left his home to become an exile so that we who are exiles from God can find our home in heaven. And it's only when you see what Christ has done for you, what he did, his mission, his sentness, his exile, that it gives us the courage to live as his sent ones and as exiles. I'm gonna dismiss us with the four words that we always end with. For those of you that have purchased a meal, the meal's available outside. And then for first service, the dock is all set up for you to enjoy the meal there and the activities and the fun that is planned there. So as we go, as we remember Christ, the ultimate exile, 
harbor we are sent.